is that when you think about the challenges that women face today, um, in general, and maybe women who want to follow Jesus, what do you think are some of the biggest things they're grappling with, the biggest challenges women have facing them? I think it's really hard to separate what you hear as truth out in all the media and everything you read and see. There's so much more than I think when I was your age. Uh, you know, I had the TV ads that came or the, you know, the newspaper ads and you guys have everything on Facebook and everywhere else. And to know what is truth and what is really telling you something you really need to think about, you don't realize mm -hmm. how you're hearing that isn't what God's Word says. Hmm. Hmm. I think sometimes it's hard to feel like enough. Like in a world where, you know, you got mm -hmm. Pinterest and Instagram yes. and yes. all the things just feeling mm -hmm. like you're enough. Trying to be huh. the perfect mom, the perfect wife, the perfect mm -hmm. employee, the perfect ministry person. Just hmm. feeling sometimes like you're enough. Going off that, I would say like comparing yourself to others too. Kind of, you know, saying like, well, they have this, this, and that, and they're doing this, and I'm not, huh. type thing. Because women tend to compare, they also tend to talk. Mm. And a woman saying something negative or deferring, not affirming about another woman, mm. um, it hurts. Mm. There's an insecurity sometimes among women that, that that can be more painful than hearing it from, you know, we're inter internally telling ourselves negative things sometimes, but to know that another woman has um, has done that or gossiped about one another or about your your private life or personal issues mm -hmm. is uh, is hurt. What would you say to other women? Inner beauty is, and how do you how do you attain it? How do you become beautiful on the inside? What does that look like? What does it mean? I I used to hear like you know um, you know that beauty is you know kindness and gentleness and. Like I would take that kind of in a negative way because I think I, I, I thought of gentleness and I thought, okay, so like she sits back and she's just quietly having tea, you know, with like her friends and she lets, you know, like the, the guys do their thing, you know, like clearly that's not it, but that's what I had in my head. So I thought, well, I don't want to be gentle, you know, I want to be strong, you know, I want to be a strong woman. And and then as I got older and as I learned more about Jesus and how his kindness leads us to repentance, I was like, well, I want to be like Jesus. So I want to be kind and gentle, you know, and, and how, how beautiful that is and, and how um, hard that is and how much self-control it takes to be kind and gentle, because that's actually the hard thing to do. You know, when, when you're in an argument and someone is screaming at you, the easy thing to do is to scream back at them, you know, and the hard, controlled thing to do is to be gentle and kind and forgiving and loving and, you know, and thinking of Jesus on the cross and he was gentle, but so strong at the same time. You know, he, he could have given the lightning on everybody. You know what I mean? And that would have been, well, I would have probably done, you know? And, and so he had the power to do that. But instead he said, you know, God forgive them for they know not what they do. And that was his gentle, loving, kind spirit. And if that's who he is, that's beautiful. And that's who I want to be. As you said, the way Jesus is, I think of um, that verse that says we are his masterpiece. Mm -hmm. And that's one of my favorite things about being a woman is to recognize that, that God has created me as his masterpiece. Mm -hmm. And to, to think that that's where my beauty is. Mm -hmm. My beauty is in how he sees me and, through Christ. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I can spend time on my makeup and my clothes and all of that. But that's the exterior. Uh, I guess someone that like knows like who they are, I guess, mm -hmm. that, um, you know, is kind of confident, like, like a subtle confidence, not like mm -hmm. a like over cocky confidence or anything. What are the things that you think women need to guard their heart? Control. I'm, I like things just so, da, 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 da. And it's like um, having the control of all those things falling into place and how they should be and all this kind of stuff. And then when someone comes in and um, they have a different role or a different idea, um, it's like, yeah, but it doesn't fit. So we're going to do it this way. And so um, uh, women struggle 
big time with controlling everything. And so um, it's funny because women tend to struggle with working with each other, you know, because of that kind of thing. And so, um, and even, you know, I always see a danger where um, if, if a woman or a girl has, doesn't have um, friends, other girlfriends, you know, it's like they have only have guy friends or whatever. It's like they, they're somewhere they're struggling with um, facing and dealing with that side of them. It's like they're always in the controlling, you know, like the guys are going to let her talk and let her do all this stuff, but the other girls won't, you know. And so um, it, it can be uh, um, unhealthy, you know. I feel like I always used to hear this in youth group all the time. Like they would always say like, guard your heart, guard your heart. And I would be like, that's so broad. What does that mean against skeezy boys, against <laughs> drugs? You know, what am I guarding my heart against? You know, and like, I feel like as I get older, it's just made more and more sense. And like, I guard my heart in anything that isn't bringing me closer to Christ, whether that is a relationship with a guy, whether that's a job that I'm not really sure about taking or, you know, uh, a decision that, you know, is kind of hard for me. I always run that through the filter of, okay, I'm guarding my heart against this as in, is this something that's going to take me away and distract me and further me from, you know, learning and growing in my, in my relationship with Christ? Or is this something that is going to just completely guide me into the arms of Christ? Like, mm-hmm. and I'm, it's made so much more sense now that like, mm-hmm. you know, I put it through that filter every time. Hmm. What would you say? Um, guard your heart from comparison. Mm-hmm. We are... God made us just the way he wants us. Mm. He made us fully in his image. And whether or not somebody has a smaller waist size or a prettier house or a fancier job or more time with, you know, with their kids or the perfect, what seemingly perfect life comparison, just, it's not helpful. Mm. I just, I think, feel, feel like I know that I need to guard my heart from comparing. Mm. I think you, I need to guard my heart from the voices in my head. I, mm. What I hear and what God's word tells me isn't always the same thing. Mm. And so I want to I wanna think about the truth, think about what is true and right and honorable and not those negative voices, the comparison and mm. the control and a lot of other voices that I hear that is not truth. Mm. In this series, so if you're here and you're a guest, let me catch you up to speed really, really really quick, okay? I want to first encourage you to go online and listen to the series that we're in. We're in the fifth week of a series called Made to Be. It's all about gender. It's all about what was God's dream, his desire for the different genders. And so we said this. I want to, want to make sure we say, you understand what I'm saying. We said that our culture would say that gender, identity, and roles, and purpose is all a social construct. Listen close to what I'm saying because some of you have misheard me. Our culture would say that. I'm not saying that. I don't think God would say that. Our culture would say that society gets to determine, you know, gender identity. Society gets to determine purpose and role. And we're looking and say, hey, what would happen if we went back into God's heart on this thing and say, what was God's idea, his purpose, his desire, his dream for the genders? We've said it this way, is that gender is rooted in creation and it is redeemed at the cross. When you look at God's story, if you want to understand what God thought about when he thought about gender, it goes the whole way back to creation. So that's all we've been doing, kind of teasing it out. And as we've been teasing it out, here's what we found, that God created us on purpose for a purpose, right? And that he made us in his image. That's where our value comes from. Men and women alike get value because they've been made in the image of God. Equal value, right? We said this, that equal rights isn't a modern phenomenon. It's as old as time. That it's equal value. God created men and women in his image, but he was a beautiful designer and he designed us different. God, in his eternal wisdom, designed us different, male and female, and he designed us different for a purpose. So here's what we said. We've just been having an honest conversation because the church needs to find its voice and it needs to find its tone. Let me say these things and then we're going to roll. We're going to fly today, okay? But, but I want you to hear me say this. It's important that we navigate truth with grace. 
And so I want you to know this. Some of you are sitting here, and I've heard from some of you, and you're struggling. You're struggling maybe with this whole gender identity, and you're, you're struggling personally. The church needs to be a place, a safe place for people to struggle as we navigate into truth, as we bring some clarity to confusion. And so if you're somebody who's struggling, uh, I encourage you to tell you that, that this is a safe place for you to struggle. But yet we're going to navigate, lean into what God has to say about this. And that's what we've been doing. As we've been having this conversation, some of you have had questions. Let me say a couple things about that, and then we're going to dig in, okay? A couple things about that. Next week is week six of this series. I want you to come be a part of it. Okay, because I'm going to spend the first part just kind of wrapping up some things that, you, that we're going to look at about gender and how that comes together in a unique way. But then we're going to spend the last part of the sermon answering some questions that I've received from you. Okay? And so we're going to tackle some. There, there's some difficult ones, and we're going to tackle them. Uh, some of you are asking some questions because you're like, hey, I have a friend too, and I don't know how to. And so you're asking those questions. Some of you are like, hey, I'm single, and how does that play out uh, in, in my life? And so we're going to answer that, okay? So I want you to be here and be a part of that as we try to tackle some of those questions. Last, I would say this, okay? Last, I would say this. If some of you, I'm hearing from you, and here's what I'm hearing, and I'm, I want to say this with kindness and gentleness, you have heard what people are saying that are here, but you haven't actually listened to the sermon. So you weren't here, okay? Or you didn't go online and listen to it. Here's my encouragement to you, okay? I'm not reprimanding anybody. I'm just saying, don't cherry pick, okay? Don't go, go say, hey, this is what I think was said, or somebody said you said this. Don't do that, okay? Don't cherry, everybody say cherry pick. I know I say it funny, right? So everybody say it out loud. Just say it, cherry pick. That's right. So I was in Pennsylvania last week, okay, and that's the way we say it. I'm just saying, but don't do that. I encourage you to go online and listen to everything we said in context because what we said, we said was this. We wanted to unwrap God's dream, his desire, his vision for the genders. We spent two weeks on the guys. Said, okay, what was God's purpose? And I would say this. I'm not going to rehash all that, but when guys are leaning into God's purpose for them, when they are, are, are responsible caretakers, when they are sacrificial leaders, when they are spiritual guardians, when, when guys take that serious, when, when they are leaning into that, culture flourishes. We looked at that. Families flourish. And can I say this? Women flourish. Women flourish. Guys who don't know who they are hurt women. Guys who don't know what God's purpose and dream for them is hurt women, either by being apathetic and passive, right, or by being angry and aggressive. Guys who don't understand. So we said, hey, let's look at this. And then week two of that, we said, okay, how do we measure a man? And we looked at a guy named David and we said, hey, men need to step up and you need to go listen. Men need to speak up and keep their guard up. Last week, I wasn't here with you. I joined you by way of video, right? I was in Pennsylvania, and, and we had a chance to say, okay, what's God's dream for the gals, right? But when you go back into creation, and, and we just kind of looked at that, and I encourage you to listen to the entire sermon in context, is that when you drill back into God's dream and desire in creating woman, he made women to be this necessary helper. Like he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so she's necessary. She's not inferior. She's necessary, for him to do what I've entrusted to him to do. Not only that, but she's a unique complement with an E, not an I, right? That somehow she's different and she has been uniquely made opposite so that they fit together. That's what, he, that's what he's saying there. The, the, the Hebrew word literally means that, okay? That, that this, this opposite, I made her opposite for a reason. And then she is this partnering companion, which leads to today, leads to today for a few brief moments that I simply want to be fair and to, to have a fair conversation, go the same route we went with the guys. With the guys, we asked this question in week two. We said, how do you measure a man? How do you measure manhood? And all I want to ask this morning is how in the world do you measure a woman? How do women measure whether or not they're measuring up. Now listen, I, I've been married for 29 years, right? Actually today, today's my anniversary, right? Thank you, yeah. 
29 years married. I have a gal who's in her 20s, raised a daughter who's in her 20s. I spent time with these five incredible guys. They were incredible to sit and listen to. I've been pastoring for 20-some years, had chances to have tons of conversations with tons of women. And can we just say this, and I think you women will agree, that there is a lot of pressure on women to measure up. Here's the problem. The problem is this, is that when it comes to gals, measuring up is like this game where they keep changing the rules. And we're not sure what it is that we're measuring up to, and it depends on who's measuring. We said with guys, a lot of times, it it boils down to the three Bs, right? The ball field, the bedroom, and the billfold, right? And a lot of guys, that's how a lot of guys measure what does it mean to be a man. But, but when you do the reading and the research and dig into the psyche behind it, it's like, I'm not sure how to, to simplify it for gals. Because when it comes to measuring up for women, is it like beauty? Like, I don't know, is it women that we measure whether or not we're measuring up if we're beautiful or it's our body or maybe it's our brain or maybe it's if I'm good in business or maybe if it's my babies or smarter than your babies or we're not sure how to measure and it feels like the rules keep changing. And so therefore, it leaves us in this constant, if you're a gal, in this constant state, I'm not sure if I'm measuring up and it creates this insecurity. And here's what we said. We said that when it comes to measuring a person, that God measures differently. In 1 Samuel, we looked at this for the guys. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So when it comes to measuring people, God looks different. And so specifically for the sake of today, God measures different. Everybody look here a second. Now, women, obviously what I want to share with you, all right, what could go wrong? A guy talking to gals about what God has to say about gals, right? But, but I, I want to have an honest conversation with you. Even if you don't agree with everything I say, I'm okay with that, if you are, okay? I want to have an honest conversation with you this morning. And so obviously we're going to talk to women about women. Guys in the room, this is so important for you to hear. So important for you to hear. First and foremost, if you're here with your wife, I said this to the gals in, fair, in fairness, do not help me preach this sermon. I beg of you, don't do it. It won't go well for thee, okay? <laughs> Nor should it. Nor should it, okay? Don't, don't help me, okay? But, but I would encourage you to pray for Love and encourage, whether it's your wife or your girl, whoever you're here with, okay? Some of you are single guys, and I'm hoping today, I'm hoping today will be instructive to you because God has some things he has to say. It's like when he looks at a gal, there's certain things that he looks at. This is so important. And I think one of those places, we cannot be exhaustive with our conversation, but one of those places that we would want to go is 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 1. You ready? He's talking to married women, but there's going to be some things we're going to draw that apply to women. He says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. We're starting off great, aren't we, huh? (laughs) Yes. So here's the deal. We're going to talk a little more about this next week. You're like, oh, no, this is crazy. I can't believe this. This is your, and some of you are like, what is that going on? Let me just say this. Let me just say this. Two things. First, all he's saying there, okay, we can relax a little bit. All he's saying is, wives, I want you to recognize God's role and call and responsibility given to husbands. Just recognize that. Recognize that God gave them a role and responsibility. Husbands in the room, nowhere in the Bible are you told to ask or tell your wife to do this. Let me just state that. So if you walk out of here and say, hey, this might be the only thing you hear. Like, hey, did you read that first verse he put up there? Listen, there's nowhere in the Bible you're ever instructed, encouraged by God to do that. Ever. Ever. I would call that spiritual abuse. There, I said it, okay? Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word. That's some of you in the room. And you're, you're some of my heroes, to be honest with, with you. Like you come and your husband doesn't come, or maybe he comes, but he's not a follower. And you're like, I'm following Jesus and he's not. And I want to say this, that Peter's actually writing to gals who got husbands and they're not into this whole Jesus thing. They're not following, okay? He's saying this, wives, same way, submit yourselves to your husband so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. What's that behavior? When they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Now look at this, your beauty should not come from outward adornment. That's interesting. 
such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Okay, let's make sense of that. Can we just make sense of that real quick? Like, what's he saying here? Some are like, hey, I did my hair today, and now look what he's saying. You know, like, I don't know what's going on. Does that mean we shouldn't wear makeup, shouldn't wear jewelry? I mean, what's going on? Is that what Peter is saying? No. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what Peter is just acknowledging, can we just acknowledge this, that when it comes to gals and this whole pressure that many gals even feel in our culture, there's this pressure around this idea of what it means to be beautiful. What is beauty? And what Peter is saying right out the gate, he's simply saying this, is that I want you to make sure you understand that the essence of beauty isn't an outward quality. Because here's the problem with beauty. The problem with beauty and and, and using that as a measuring stick for how I measure up is beauty is a moving target. What was beautiful in one generation is not beautiful in another. I can just tell you that. You you can go, you can read on it, research it, right? There was a, there was a time, I'm just saying, there was a time when, when this real skinny understanding of beauty, this airbrush. Yeah, I don't know why I'm doing that, but I mean, I am, okay? But when, (laughs) sorry. Uh, What was I saying? But but, but there was this time when this real skinny idea of beauty, there would have been a culture, there would have been a generation say, hey, you need to eat. Because there was this understanding of beauty that was more of a fuller kind of figure. and things. It's always a moving target. One generation might not see beauty the same as the next. One culture not the same as the next. And, and there, it is a billion-dollar industry. And Peter's saying, be careful. Be careful wrapping up all your value in this moving target, letting other people define that. But then he goes on to say this. He says, rather, it should be your beauty, that is. That of your inner self. Now, if you write in your Bibles, and you probably should, here's literally what that Greek word means. Okay, you can write this down. Your, it should be that of your hidden heart. That's what that word means. Your hidden heart. It's fascinating. The unfading beauty, doesn't fade, of a gentle and quiet spirit. We're going to get back to that in a second. You're like, what? Okay. Which is of great worth in God's sight. So God says, this is a great worth in my sight. It's like, okay, now my antennas are up. Not just if I'm a gal. If I'm a guy in the room, it's like, God, what do you see important in a, in, in a woman? Particularly if I'm a single guy in the room, I'm like, what do you think's beautiful? Okay? And, and then he says this, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. All he's saying is this, okay, let's just make an observation and then fly. Our culture would say this, is that beauty is an outside-in phenomenon, okay? Now, I'm not a gal, but I've talked to a lot of gals, and I actually ran this by some gals, okay? I just want to let you know that, all right? Uh, but, but, But our culture would say that, right? That if you can somehow make yourself beautiful, you make yourself beautiful on the outside so that you feel beautiful on the inside. That's our culture, Right? The problem is this, is that when it comes to making yourself beautiful on the outside, we already listed it, it's always a moving target. And it's always a race against time and gravity. And then all, you know what I'm saying, sure, right? And there's all these cultural expectations and like, I don't know if this is what's beautiful and does this, and we're not sure. And so that's what leaves sometimes gals feel insecure. It's like, I don't know if I'm beautiful, so I'm not sure I feel beautiful. What Peter is saying, I would say what God is saying through Peter is this, is that beauty in God's eyes is an inside-out transaction. He's simply saying this, is that when I become beautiful on the inside, it shows up on the outside. What's he saying? I want you to write it down this way. He's saying, women, step up and become beautiful in God's eyes. Now, we're just using the same terminology we use for guys. We're just filling in some blanks. He's saying women step up and become beautiful in God's eyes. Peter makes it clear that God measures beauty in this hidden heart, this inner self. And this beauty keeps getting more and more and more beautiful. Okay, you ready? We got to go here. We got to go here. So what is it that makes a woman beautiful on the inside? Well, this is what he says, okay? This is what he says. This is not me. This is not some guy's opinion, okay? So if you don't, if you don't like it, I guess send God an email. I'm not sure, but, but this is what he says. He says, it is a gentle and quiet spirit. That's what he says. 
I love it when I say that and just leave a little pause. I say it in my office all the time, and, and I get all kinds of reactions. Like, preacher, you better explain yourself now, right? Because that don't fit our culture. A gentle and quiet spirit. And there's somebody like, what are you saying, Pastor Dan? Are you saying women are to be seen and not heard? They're being a mousy, pushover. What, what are you saying? What is a gentle and a quiet spirit? Everybody listen close. Please, I beg of you. I'm, I'm hearing from some of you. Please listen to everything I'm saying. Don't cherry pick some of the things I say. You see how many times I can say cherry pick in one sermon, okay? Don't do that. We cannot read into the Bible our own cultural interpretations. I would say it this way, okay? This might sting a little bit. When it comes to reading your Bible, it doesn't matter what the Bible means to you. It matters what the Bible means. There's a difference. It does, like, what's this mean to you? Well, I think this might mean, and we can kind of just make up all kinds of, it matters what does it mean. So when the Bible, when God says that this is beautiful to me, when a woman has a gentle and quiet spirit, it's like, well, what are you talking about? That doesn't fit. We got to say, what does he mean? And the word he uses there is the word prouse. You can forget that, but this word for gentle is also the word for meek. Meekness, you're like, well, I don't like that any better. Here's literally what it means. The word prouse that he uses, and God says, this is what's beautiful to me, is a mildness of disposition, a gentleness. Meekness toward God is that disposition, listen close, listen really close, of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good, and therefore we don't dispute or resist God. It turns out the definition of gentleness or meekness has more to do with complete trust in God than a personality trait or an outward disposition. A woman who is gentle, this is what it means, understands at the deepest level that God is in control. So she does not have to be anxious about her circumstances, her identity, because she knows who she is and who she is. That's what meekness is. In fact, we did a series a, a few months ago called Happy, and literally Jesus in the first sermon he preached said, blessed are the meek. Why? They will inherit the earth. Meekness is not be a pushover. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. Meekness is strength that is surrendered. In fact, in Galatians 5, it says this, that when somebody, man or woman, man or woman, is controlled by the Spirit of God, one of the fruits of the Spirit is meekness. But I do not think that is the most convincing thing. The most convincing thing to me is this, is that the one time, that the one time where Jesus describes himself is in Matthew Chapter 11, look at what Jesus says. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? Gentle, meek, prous, that's the Greek word, and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. That is what Jesus is like, and Jesus is God with skin on. Let me ask you a question, Grace Church. This is an all-play moment. Is there anyone more powerful than God? No. And so therefore, when I look at Jesus, Jesus Christ is the power of God under control. So when he's looking for a, a gal who has this beautiful heart inside, this beautiful hidden heart, what is he looking for? He's looking for a gentle and quiet spirit who you ought to write this down, who trusts God completely and knows God intimately. Trust God completely because I know him intimately. I will trust him because I know him. And when a woman, and this applies to men too, but when a woman wants to be beautiful, she is somebody who trusts God because she knows that is where her identity comes from. He's the one who made her. And she's going to trust God because she knows God intimately. And when she trusts God completely and knows him intimately, therefore, it will begin to make her beautiful on the inside and it will show up on the outside. A woman who trusts God completely because she knows him intimately is willing and has this 
strong resolve, listen close, to do the right thing even if it's not the easy thing. You know why? Because she trusts God and she knows God. That's reverence. A woman who trusts God completely because she knows him intimately is gonna care more about what he says than what others say. It's gonna produce in her this peace, not this panic. It's gonna produce a reverence, not this restlessness, trying to figure out who she is. And it shows up in a beautiful life, and that beautiful life is a life that looks like Jesus. No one in the room, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, no one in the room who would read about the historical Jesus would say there is a weak person. No one would say that. But Jesus is the epitome, like Sarah said in the video, of strength surrendered, of power under control. Proverbs 31 says it this way. In verse 30, it says, Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears, reveres, trusts completely the Lord, she is the one to be praised. What's that kind of woman look like? Everybody look here a second. And Matt, I don't have time to go through the whole passage. Okay, I'm going to just go through part of it. Okay, the clock's against me, but there's so much I want to share with you this morning. Okay, what does she look like? Well, if you read the rest of Proverbs 31, you know what she looks like? She's intelligent. You read it. She's industrious. She's hardworking. She's eager and generous to the poor. She makes sure she cares for her family. And when you get to the end of that little section, here's what it says in verse 25. Everybody take your eyes. Proverbs 31, 25. I love this. Underline it. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. This is a woman who works and lives from her worth, not for her worth. And what God says is this, in this culture, in this culture that is pressing on women to be beautiful, well, what does that mean? And it's a moving target. God says, I will tell you what it means. A woman who is beautiful is a woman who is anchored. She is strong. She has dignity because she knows who she is and she knows God intimately. And when she trusts him completely and knows him intimately, it shows up in a life of resolve a life willing to do what's right, a life that worships and honors God. That's what he's saying. Listen, listen. As much as that's for women in the room, guys, listen to me. Gals, turn off for a second. If that's, listen, if that's what God says is of great worth, Somehow the reinforcement they need to hear from us, whether they're our daughters, whether they're just gals that we know, the reinforcement they need to hear from us, if we're going to be men after God's own heart, is that what matters to him matters to us. See what I mean? That what matters to him is going to matter to us. And that what he sees as beautiful is going to matter to us. Sometimes we send a conflicting message to the women in our life. It's interesting if you look at Proverbs 31, verse 26. It says that same woman she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. Everybody look here a second. Can I make a statement that I want some agreement? At least shake shake your head if you agree with me. Generally speaking, generally speaking, everybody say that with me out loud generally speaking, that means there are some exceptions to this, okay? That's what that means. Generally speaking, women have more words than men. Anybody agree with that? Yeah, if you're a fella, you probably shouldn't have agreed with that, all right? I'm just saying let the gals agree, all right? It's true. Scientifically, you can go into research, you can do all that, whatever you need to do. The fact of the matter is, generally speaking, women have more words than men. Some of you guys are saying, hey, man, this guy's in trouble after this message. No, it's just true, right? And that means this. If women have more words than men, that means women hold power. You're saying, Dan, what are you talking about? Because of Proverbs chapter 18, the tongue has what? The power of life and death. I find it interesting that generally speaking, women have more words than men and that God decides to say that 
And if meekness is power under control and women have more words than men, what does that mean? I think it means this. Women, speak up and leverage the power of your words. Your words have power. Your words have power. This woman in Psalm, in Proverbs 31 is wise and she is full of faith with her words. She knows there is power. She knows that there is the power with her words to encourage and build up or to tear down. There is the power to compliment or to criticize, to teach or to belittle. Look at what Proverbs 12, 18 says. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Listen, listen. How many of you in the room have ever heard this? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Raise your hand if you see it. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It is not true. Words have the power. I have people that will come into my office, adult men, who will replay for me words their father spoke to them as a child that they cannot somehow run away from. Words have power. And gals, I want to tell you this. Your words have power. Your words have power with each other. The power to instruct, to coach, to compliment, to inspire. All the wives in the room, listen to me for a minute. Wives, your words have power in the life of your husband. Hands down, guaranteed. I will tell you, personally, personally, been married 29 years, that my wife's words have more power than all y'all's words collectively have in my life. We could end today, y'all could go out and say, Dan, that was the worst sermon, you're the worst preacher, I can't believe, la, 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 like that, and it's like, wah, 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 I shake your hand and say, hey, have a great day. I go home, my wife says the same thing, I'm destroyed. I'm like, what? My wife's words have power. Your words have power, which makes 1 Peter 3 interesting to me when he says this. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, look at this, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Listen, I want to say this with gentleness and tenderness. Sometimes, everybody look here. You know, I just want to say this with kindness. Sometimes the most powerful words that you will ever think are the ones you choose not to speak. The old adage, I just speak my mind, right, is not necessarily a great philosophy, men or women. We're talking today to women, men or women. I just speak what's on my mind. Stop. (laughs) Because sometimes when I speak my mind and don't think, I show everybody what a fool I am. You see what I'm saying? You see, sometimes the most powerful words that I ever will think are the ones that I choose not to allow to come out of my mouth. Which is why Proverbs 21 says this, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. I think all he wants us to know is that a wise and faithful woman knows that there is power in her words. And so she can deliberately and intentionally offer words that bring healing. You know why? Because she's beautiful. And she knows who she is because she knows God intimately. And a woman who is anchored, a woman who is at peace, a woman who knows who she is can display meekness with her words, saying there is sometimes a time to speak and at times there is a time not to. That being said... Jesus says this, that our words and our mouth speak out of the overflow of our, anybody know? Our heart leads to the last thing and then we're done. That not only do we step up, become beautiful, we speak up and leverage the power of our words, but I want you to write this down, we guard up. In Proverbs 4.23 it says, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Our hearts are the spring from which everything in life flows. And because of that, we guard our hearts. 
So in closing, can I do this? Can I offer four suggestions of what gals in particular, this is for everybody, but gals in particular, four suggestions of things to guard your heart against. Can I do that? Just shake your head if you, is that okay? I'm not really asking permission, I guess, am I? But yeah. What could go wrong? A guy telling women what to guard their hearts against. I don't know. Send your email if you disagree to gfoot at graceohio.org. <laughs> I'm going to race through these because I think the women did a great job of teaching us this on the video. First, I would say this. Women, guard up against lies. Guard up against lies. I think it's interesting that Satan deceived Eve. The Bible is clear that Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. And I would suggest this, that he continues to tell lies today. And in particular, there are certain lies that he continues to tell women. Men perpetuate it. Our culture seems to stir it and cultivate it. Media and movies amplify it. And sometimes the biggest lies women hear are the ones they tell themselves. There's a book that we'll throw on the screen, and for you gals that like to read, it might be one worth picking up, Lies Women Believe and the Truth That Sets Them Free. If you read that book, there are certain lies that women believe. I think she lists out 40 maybe in there, but lies like this, God is not good, my past is irredeemable, I'm not valuable, I'm not worthwhile, I must be perfect, I'm not beautiful, I'm not making a difference, I'm unlikable, I'm all alone, nobody wants to be my friend. Lies that women believe, and I'll be honest with you, I'm sitting in this room with a bunch of gals, and some of you guys are like, yep, those are a lot, all of them are lies, and there are some of us guys like, really? Right? They're lies that women believe. How in the world do we guard our heart against these lies that many times make their way into our life? I don't know a shortcut. I don't know a fancy answer. I don't know any way to put this other than to say we, the way to guard your heart against lies is to replace it with truth. Here's what Philippians 4 says. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. What's he saying? And I, I really do got to race, but what's he saying? He's saying, I want you to replace the lies with the truth. Anybody raising a daughter in this room, listen close. They don't have to go look for these bombardment of messages that lie to them. It happens constantly, daily, all the time. So if I'm going to raise a daughter who believes the truth, I'm going to have to be intentional about making sure she's hearing messages of truth. That's why a beautiful woman is somebody who trusts God completely because she knows Him intimately. That's why the song that we have sung almost every Sunday in this series is, I am who you, what? Say I am. Because I will guarantee you this, that our culture is going to tell you who you are, whether you make a difference, significant, beautiful, matter, pretty, skinny, whatever it might be, it's going to tell you. And what that song says is this, you know something? I am who you say I am. That's why I give this book, some of you will recognize it, it's a children's book, I give it to ton, tons of gals, some of you have gotten one, okay, it's a children's book and I say read it and it's not to be demeaning because in this book it's about a woodcarver who makes these little wood beings and they, these little wood beings go out and people say things about them and they, if they say bad things they get a dot, if they say good things they get a star and, and the people who really matter in the village are the people with lots of stars and the people who don't matter they got lots of dots. Until one day, one of the little wooden creatures goes into the woodcarver's shop. And all of a sudden, he realized that in the woodcarver's shop, the stars don't stick, nor do the dots. Because what matters is what the one who made him says about him. And what that tells me is this, is that if I want to somehow stop believing the lies, i got to every day intentionally go into the shop of my creator and say, I am who you say I am. I think it was Deb on the video said, I got to go in there and realize I am his masterpiece. I am his trophy of grace. I think it was Sarah who said, Sarah uh, Friddle who said, he made us exactly the way he made us, by design. I go in and say, I want to listen to what you have to say about me. I'm going to guard my heart against lies. Can I say this one? 
think it was Sarah Frittle who brought this up in the video, and I think this is fascinating. I've got to guard my heart against comparing. We talked about this last week. I'd encourage you, if you weren't here last week, that somehow as God spoke the consequences of sin into men and women, there's this sense to which there's this disordered desire that many times shows up in women that leads to a comparison trap. And it can be a crazy, cyclical spiral. Actually, I was doing some reading on this, and this, this comparison trap, our culture somehow dictates to us attitudes and evaluation, and it leads even women to a pecking order. I didn't even realize there was such a term as the alpha woman, you know, but there is. And it led me to an article that I've asked multiple women, is this true? Because I'm like, wow, I'm a guy, and I want to make sure written, it's not by written by a Christian, a gal who writes for a magazine, Juliet Oliphant, and she wrote this article. She said, why girls check out other girls? Like it or not, we're all guilty of it. Be it an inconspicuous glance at the girl browsing at the same clothes shop window, or rather the more blatant stares at the girl sitting opposite of us, we just can't seem to help ourselves. A recent study has confirmed it. Women spend more time checking out other women than they do the opposite sex. According to Dr. Caroline Walters, a body image and women's sexuality specialist, it's not just other women's clothes we're checking out. It's practically every aspect of another woman's appearance, from her hairstyle to tan, shape, size, even body hair, and fat distribution. Whatever we deem to be most important ourselves, we check out in other women. A woman then becomes, keyword, listen close, a woman then becomes a slave to comparing intellects, beauty, composition, style, and fashion. Let me stop for a minute before I keep reading. Do you remember the song, I Am? We don't just sing this, so it's not like a prelude to the sermon. I am who you say I am, who the sun sets free. She said, a woman then becomes a slave to comparing intellects, beauty, body composition, style, and fashion. In fact, here's another quote from the article. The article goes on to argue that women actually dress for other women. They don't actually dress for men at all. Here's the quote. Most women will agree that when they look in the mirror, they're wondering what other women will see and will she somehow measure up. It's fascinating. And and I've talked to gals in preparation for this and talked to my wife and talked to others and when it, there's this comparison trap, we compare looks, we compare clothes, we compare personalities, we compare talent, boyfriends, we, we compare children. You ever heard the term mommy wars? You know, you get a bunch of mommies together and it's like, you know, one mommy says, oh, you know, I got my kid in dance club and toddler debate club and they're going to get a scholarship to Yale, you know? You know, the other mommy said, I don't know, my kid's eating a lollipop watching Dora the Explorer. I'm a loser, you know? You know, it, it happens, Right? And there becomes this, when I don't understand who I am and whose I am, I, all of a sudden I'm left to compare myself to decide whether I measure up. Simply saying, I want you to guard your hearts. The result of the fall is disordered desires. And that leads not only to comparing. But Sherry Jones, I think, said this well in the video. I think I need to guard, you need to guard your heart against controlling. Now, stay with me on this. Stay with me on this. I want to make sure you hear what I'm saying. Hear what I'm saying. When our identity is not anchored in Christ and our beauty is not found in what God says it means to be beautiful, sometimes women can get restless and out of control. And one of the ways they begin to control the narrative is with the power of their tongue. And it shows up in two ways. I want to be gentle, but I want to be clear about this, okay? First and foremost, it shows up in gossip. Gossip. Gossip is me controlling the narrative by tearing others down. When I feel insecure about who I am, it's easier for me to tear others down when I don't know who I am. And so in tearing them down, I build myself up. And gossip becomes a way for me to control. It's usually fueled by an insecure arrogance that has to tear down so that I feel better. And here's what Proverbs says. It's foolish to belittle one's neighbor. A sensible person keeps quiet. A gossip goes around telling secrets, but those who are trustworthy can keep a confidence. Proverbs 16 says, A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. I just, I don't have time. The the clock's against me. Don't look at it. The clock's against me. God hates gossip. 
But, but here's how I would say is gossip, what fuels gossip is this insecure arrogance that has no idea who I am. So in order for me to somehow get ahead, I've got to tear you down. As though somehow my flaws and my shortcomings aren't as bad as yours. And so when I see somebody's kid who seems to get ahead, what I do is I pull together a group of people and I'm like, well, you know how they got that spot. You heard what she did because somehow I don't feel secure in who I am. And I control the narrative. I control the narrative. You see what I'm saying? Now, I'm going to... I want you to stay with, I got such important things to end with, and I'm going to just talk to my safety team in the back. If we could, the next, I know, next service is going to be coming. If we can just keep uh, the doors shut so that we can, uh, if, if they start up the, the hallway there, because I want to tell you, it doesn't just show up in gossip. Are you with me? Just shake your head. Are you with me? We got to go here. Are you with me? Okay. I had a guy after first service said, you gave the guys an extra 10 minutes when you talked to them. So you're welcome, guys. I'm giving you an extra 10 minutes, I guess. It doesn't just show up in gossip, but I want you to write this down, particularly if, if you're here and, and you're married. I want you to write this down, but this applies to all women, and it comes out in criticism. It comes out in criticism. Men use size and strength to intimidate, and I believe this. Generally speaking, women use words. And wives, I would say this, your words have power. They have power to give life and they have power to take life away. With your words, you can, and I have seen this done. And I say this with gentleness, but with conviction. I've, I've done this 20-some years. I have seen women emasculate their husbands with their words. Demoralize their husbands with their words. And God seems to be clear I want to make sure I say this, that this is God's words, not mine. Okay? So if you want to send an email, send it to God in this case, okay? Here's what he says. Proverbs 19. A foolish child is a father's ruin, and a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping of a leaky roof. think God's trying to paint a picture. It sounds like verbal waterboarding or something like that. I'm not sure. But he's saying it matters. Well, what do I do if the roof keeps leaking? Well, God doesn't leave us in, in the dark. In Proverbs 21.9, just a few chapters over, he says, Well, in that case, dude, it's better to live on the corner of the roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. You're like, am I reading this right? Yeah, he's like, dude, it's better for you just to head up to the roof. Well, it's raining out. It's like, go there anyways. It's like, it's like, God, she might follow me there. God's like, I thought of that. Pro- Proverbs 21, 19. In that case, dude, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. Now... Now that all of our laughter's out, can I just be serious? Because I, I, I went straight into the guys. I just went straight into the guys, so I'm going to go straight in, straight in on this. Gals, I'm, I'm, and you can disagree with me, and I'm fine with that, but I really do think I'm right on this. 24 years of being a pastor, 29 years of being married, being, sitting in counseling sessions for 20-some years. I have seen gals, your words have power, and I've seen gals demoralize and emasculate men with their words. He can't do anything right. And when he tries, even the way he tried isn't right enough. And the quickest way for you to cause him to lose respect in front of his children is to do it in front of his children. And I've seen it. He screwed up. And so therefore somehow he's always a screw up. I'm going to tell you something I don't need to tell you. You are sitting around a bunch of imperfect guys. And some of you are going to go home to some imperfect guys. My wife has been married for the last 29 years to a guy who can and is a toad on a lot of occasions. Ask her. Make her be honest with you. 
I can be an absolute idiot. And I will tell you something. My wife doesn't always respond right. Don't get this fantasy picture of us. Sometimes she lets me have it, you know. But I will tell you, when I see this beautiful, godly woman respond to me, here's what she does. She'll tell me ten times more than I need to hear what I need to hear from God. And she'll breathe life into this toad's old soul. And I know this because I've caught her doing it. She'll use her words not to cut me down. But I've caught her using her words to lift me up in front of our Father in heaven. And I have done nothing to deserve that most of the time. You see, our words matter. God says, guard your heart. There's one last thing and then I've got to be done. Guard my heart against idealism. Idealism. Can I just say this? In the social media world in which we live, we are all about image. Amen? So we take selfies of ourselves as though, hey, I was just kind of walking through life and this is what I look like. Like nobody wakes up and <laughs> hair's going every which direction, no makeup. Is that boom, hey, hello world, right? Nobody does that. Right? And so what happens is we kind of create this veneer or this, this fake world in which we live. And I think it's devastating to women because they become addicted to perfection. You gotta be perfect. You gotta have the perfect body, the perfect hair, the perfect score, the perfect kids. Sarah Friddle sent me an article, she's in the video, that was fascinating to me. And I did some more reading. And it led me to this that women are far more likely to commit suicide than men, more likely to have an eating disorder than men, more likely to harm themselves, cut themselves, more likely to fall into depression, anxiety, and they're far more likely to treat themselves cheaply. Why? Because there's something about this idealistic world in which we live that women just grab a hold of, and there's this perfection. I've got to be perfect. And if I'm not perfect, then I'm not valuable. But it's not just women that are devastated by it. It's men as well. When women gravitate towards idealism, they somehow look at their husbands when they're married through, or even their future husband, through this fantasy lens. I will say this, and then I really do got to be done, but, but I feel like I need to say this. And, and y'all, not everybody's going to like this, and I'm okay with that. I really am. Fifty Shades of Grey slash romance novels. Fifty Shades of Grey slash romance novels have the very same dynamic in your life that pornography does in your husband's. With words... They simply airbrush this fantasy guy that your husband will never be. He won't. And what it can create is a John 4 kind of woman who goes from well to well looking for a man who's going to satisfy. And I will tell you this. If you're even looking at your husband to meet all of that satisfaction, you're going to be disappointed. I only know of one man that's going to satisfy and he's found in Hebrews chapter 12. And he says, since we're surrounded by this huge crowd of witnesses, let's strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let's run with endurance the race God has set before us. And we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Wives, if you are expecting your husband to meet your every need perfectly, your expectation will be a premeditated disappointment. I only know of one man that way. And he says, I want you to come to me. I want you to come to me for your longings to be satisfied. I want you to come to me. Otherwise, what's going to happen is you're going to set your husband up in this idealistic world that he's never going to live up to.
ever. And the invitation is simply this, that there is a God who says, I will tell you gals what it means to be beautiful. I'm the one that created you. If you trust me completely because you know me intimately, and that this power, this strength, this, this intellect, this industrious nature that I've given you, if it's a strength that's under control, all of a sudden what happens is culture begins to flourish, families begin to flourish, and men receive help that they desperately need. And so God, conversation is so important. I pray that you'd help us to tease it out so that somehow in this room, In this room, we might listen to you more than we're listening to the lies that culture and others might be spinning. And I thank you for in this room, godly, strong, smart, beautiful women. Thank you for blessing this church with women who care about what you have to say, who want to follow you and want to leverage their words to breathe life into our lives. God, I pray that you would continue to allow that to be cultivated here so that more and more women would live with the security and the confidence of knowing whose they are because they know you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.